Thank you so much. Good morning. Love for you now to take your Bibles, physically present those online. We're turning in our Bibles right now to the book of Acts. We're continuing our series in the book of Acts, and we've made our way now up to chapter 19. We're going to be looking today at verse 1 through 10, penned by the physician Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he describes how the Apostle Paul has made his way in what is now his third missionary journey, making his way into the extraordinarily strategic setting known as Ephesus, where one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was found. The Temple of Artemis was found there. And so here you will find that the Apostle Paul is going to have to confront false spirituality with the true spirituality that is found in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. So hopefully you've now made your way in your Bible to Acts chapter 19 as Paul continues his adventures together, but he does it with the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction. Verse 1, down through verse 10, the physician writes, And it happened that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And then they said, Into John's baptism. And Paul then said, John's baptism, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, and that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came to on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning, persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them, took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So we're going to be exploring these verses together because what is happening now is that the Apostle Paul has found himself in a time of change, fluid, time of transition, and he's going to have to be able to communicate truth in transitional times, like you and like me, as we now look to our Lord together in prayer. And Father, we're thanking you for being our God. We're thanking you for sending Jesus Christ into this world to die for our sins. Things can seem in flux. What was true one day seems to be not true the next, but in reality, truth remains constant. It's the appearances that are the variables. What we need, Father, is to be able to maintain that commitment to what is constant, 
the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through me. So, Father, in these fluid times, what we're asking, Father, is that we have a fixed focus, and that focus is upon Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins, the one who three days later was raised from the grave, allowing us, Father, to understand who reigns, who matters, who's in control. So, Father, whether it be physically present in one of these services today, growing live stream and congregation, all these things, Father, are before you, and we're asking for the extraordinary sense of your presence. So these moments are important. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. As again, now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. And we're praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Second half of the 1700s for the people in what we know as the United States of America. Fluid times. Transitional times. Change. What's changed less when everything about you seems to be changing? Well, at a particular point in time, there were a large number of people, colonists in Virginia, who decided it's time to get up and leave. The change was becoming a bit more than they could handle. So they started through the mountains, settled in the valleys, lay to the west, fear of Indians, death of a horse, breakdown of a wagon, forced a lot of them to just simply remain in the mountains. And there they stayed. They stayed for over 20 years until a group of travelers appeared on the scene, straggled into the region, and obviously conversations began to take place in terms of what's happening, what's new. Everybody wants to know what's new. So the travelers asked the mountain people what they thought of the, of the new republic, policies of the Continental Congress, the politics of the day, Get this. The others answered, we haven't heard of a continental congress or republic. They thought that they were still subjects of Great Britain. They had not even heard of George Washington or even the Revolutionary War. They wanted to maintain a sense of changelessness when there was so much change all about them, they decided to flee. Now the natural tendency when there is so much change happening is to cocoon, to find a way to turn inward rather than to find ways to communicate the gospel outward. The Apostle Paul realized that he was in a very dynamic, very fluid situation. How do you communicate changeless truths in changing times? It's a question then, it's a question now. And what I want to do with you now, as we've entered into the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, is to draw out two significant recommendations that are found here in these verses that we can extract and hopefully apply to the life situations that we find ourselves in. Now, the first comes out of verse 1. 
all the way down through verse 7. We're going to pen it like this, that in, in times of transition, begin here, pose critical questions directing people toward Jesus Christ. You're going to want to note how Paul used two significant questions to begin drawing people toward Jesus Christ. But let this unfold. It starts in verse 1, and it happened. Stop right there. Camp on that. That's something dramatic. That's something significant. It seems as though things have been just kind of going normal, and then there's this happening that occurs. Something dramatic has broken into life. In this case, it's going to break in to the muddy region known as Ephesus, which was a pivotal cosmopolitan setting in the times in which Paul was ministering in the Roman Empire. It happened. And while there, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And you say, well, Garrett, I haven't been there before. And so how do we understand this? Well, it's time to once again check out a map. So you've got your GPS in front of you, and you've made your way from Antioch through Tarsus, which was the setting in which the Apostle Paul had found himself in, Derby, Iconium, Lystra, up to Antioch, and now he's making his way uh, towards Ephesus. Our tour group had left Athens and made our way across the Aegean to Ephesus, and there we positioned ourselves. When we came ashore, what stood out to me was, first of all, there was a lot of political propaganda that was there. Arika Peregan, the president of Turkey, is and was then the leader of that nation. And when we stepped ashore, what stood out in my mind to this very day, and I paused to pray, was that one of my Wheaton colleagues, Andrew Brunson, was still being held captive in prison in Turkey. Pastor, brilliant, doctorate from Oxford. And what we found was that God was going to break into that prison cell of his. There was going to be an end-it-happened moment. And as a result, he would be released. What God is about to do now through the Apostle Paul is that there is going to be an end-it-happened moment. And the gospel is going to be released in a very significant and very powerful way. Look for those strategic settings that God places you in, physically or else online. People are longing for an end happen moment that can help make a difference in their everyday routines of life where maybe they find themselves spiritually quarantined and they're asking God, show me more. God's going to use the Apostle Paul. He's about to show them more. And so they've made their way to Ephesus. He has now an opportunity to influence all of Asia, the Roman province of Asia, now what is known as Western Turkey, most populous city, most prosperous, populated province, the empire. And so we're going to ponder how he has made his way from the upper country downward toward Ephesus. You're back to the text. And as back to the text, what you and I read at this point is that the Apostle Paul, he found some disciples. 
And you say right away, well, Gar, that means then that, that he has found some Christians. Maybe. Maybe not. Because you've done your study throughout the Scriptures. And as you've done your study throughout the Scriptures, among other things, you've noticed that, for example, there are disciples of Pharisees. Furthermore, there were disciples of John the Baptist. And, of course, there were disciples of Jesus Christ. Disciple, Methodist in the Greek, carries with the idea of a learner, of a follower. But before we get overly excited about the fact that he's found some disciples, what we've got to bear in mind is that in John chapter 6, verse 66, the Apostle John had written that after some very difficult teachings that Jesus Christ had delivered, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. In other words, there was a superficial form of discipleship that lacked the authenticity of true commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, for those and it happened moments that are so needed in our culture today, and God may be positioning you strategically, whether it be online or physically present, whether you're in dialogue through Zoom over the course of some business meetings in the coming days or whatever it might be, bear in mind this. People are longing for real, not artificial. And so now what the Apostle Paul is going to have to do is to use some strategic questions to be able to unpack this thing that he is looking at to try to determine, am I dealing with real question, uh, discipleship or is this some artificial form, an appearance of? Do the same. Ask quality questions in these fluid times. And so now, two powerful questions begin to emerge. This is an unadded-happened moment. You're up to verse, you're up to verse 2. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior, it's because the Holy Spirit was working within me. I was reborn, regenerated, as the Bible would put it. But bear in mind, these are transitional times. And so now, the Apostle Paul is going to have to unpackage this situation. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He's going to use a form of a question here to try to understand who is it he's really dealing with. Because he's dealing with religious people. The question is, are these religious unbelievers or are they truly committed to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? You're going to have to continuously ask, am I dealing with a religiously unbeliever in their persuasion? Or do they know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? You can almost see the puzzled look on their faces at this point. He's probably looking them in the eye, studying them. He knows people well. He waits. And then they say, no. And then amazingly, add, 
we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit, even though the book of Ezekiel in the Older Testament describes the work of the Holy Spirit. And furthermore, this was an issue that John excuse me, Nicodemus had to deal with in relationship to Jesus Christ when Nicodemus was terribly confused over this whole matter of the Holy Spirit. No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, what we're dealing with at this point are people who might have the appearances of loyalty to Jesus Christ. But when you begin to unpack this, you realize that there is a missing ingredient. Something has not yet entered into their spiritual life process. And so then, he doesn't want to leave it there. And neither do you, neither do I. When you're posing questions and somebody delivers an answer, now it's time for a piggyback question. And so he goes the next step. Hmm. Into what then were you baptized? He asked. They've got answers. And they say, into John's baptism. Now, what they've done at that point is that they have delivered an on-ramp for the Apostle Paul to begin to carry on a conversation. We use this metaphor. You find your conversational on-ramps to try to find a way now to be moving into what I will call the express lane of evangelism, discipleship, allowing you, giving you the opportunity now to direct people toward Jesus Christ. At this point, the Apostle Paul has not even asked about Jesus Christ. Is he Lord of your life? Fascinating. All he's done at this point is asked about baptism. Why? Because he knows that, the apostle, that Apollos, who had been there in Ephesus, was high on baptism, the baptism of John the Baptist. That means, then, he's going to have to use that as the mechanism to try to get to Jesus Christ. They are so close. But they're not quite there. They're not quite there with Jesus. It was a fog-shrouded morning. It was July 4th. It was a young woman named Florence Chadwick. She wades into the water off the Catalina Island. She's going to swim the channel. She's going to go from the island to the California coast. Long distance swimming. Not new to her. Been there, done that. First woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. The writer tells us the water was numbing cold that day. Fog so thick she could hardly see, hardly see the boats that were in her body. Several times sharks had to be driven away with rifle fire. Get this, she swam more than 15 hours before she asked to be taken out of the water. Her trainer tried to encourage her to swim on since they were so close to land. But when Florence looked, all she saw was fog. So she quit only a half mile from her goal. There are a lot of people in these confusing times 
who have a fog of spirituality that is so descended on their mindset. It might appear as though they know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but metaphorically speaking, they're about a half mile from Jesus. They might have heard all the things pertaining to Jesus. They might be religiously informed in ways that astound you. But they're about a half mile from Jesus because the fog has settled down upon their mindset. Might be a relative. Might be a co-worker. Might be a colleague in school. These people seem to know, in this case, of Paul's experience, an awful lot about John the Baptist. But if they had probed, they would have understood that John the Baptist was the means of preparation, a man of promise that would point everybody toward Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul had asked that question about the Holy Spirit. He listens carefully, and now they're going to have to talk about the baptism of John. They've probably been tutored by the Apollos, by Apollos. But interestingly, when you and I read in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, describing John the Baptist's birth, he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now there's a pro-life statement that one can be filled with the Holy Spirit even within one's mother's womb. And furthermore, here's one filled with the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. This begins to get us to start rethinking an awful lot about old structures and ways in which we assume the way things operate. Well now, what the Apostle Paul does for you and me is he's offered us a model. Use questions to probe into assumptions. They might assume they're believers. Initially, the Apostle Paul might assume they're believers. Luke even refers to them, doesn't he, as disciples. However, they're disciples of John the Baptist, not just disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, continue on. They said into John's baptism, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. What's repentance? It means a change in direction. You're headed one way, and it happened. God breaks in. Fog lifts. You go in the opposite direction. You like the actress Sandra Bullock? 2010 Best Actress Academy Award, portrayal of Leon Tui in the movie The Blind Side. The film describes a Christian family who took a homeless young man and gave him a chance to reach his God-given potential. That young man's name was Michael Orr, able to dodge the hopelessness of his life in the inner cities of Baltimore, but became first-round NFL draft pick for the Baltimore Ravens in 2009. Here's an interesting anecdote. At a fundraiser, Sean Tui, he noted that the transformation of his family 
and Michael all started with just two words. When he and his wife spotted Michael walking along the road on a cold November morning in nothing but shorts and a t-shirt, his wife, Leon Tooney, uttered two words that changed their world. She looked at Sean and said, Turn around. He turned around, went back, got Michael, and then began the rest of the story. When there is a turnaround in your life, thus begins the rest of your story. Until then, life is nothing more than put on pause as you wait for that and-it-happened moment to break in. God breaks in. Holy Spirit sovereignly at work. What you need is a turnaround experience. And so it does happen. John baptized with the baptismal repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come, that is Jesus. And all of a sudden you realize he moves from his on-ramp to his off-ramp. His off-ramp is Jesus. He knew where he needed to go. He didn't start there. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, he knows he needs to end there. I'm back to Florence. Well, two months after her failure, she walked off the same beach into the same channel, swam the distance, setting a, a new speed record, because this time around, she could see the land. The fog lifted. The Apostle Paul now is guiding these people to see the land. The fog lifts. And now what you and I find here is that in verse, in verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in awe. There you are. It's happening in Ephesus. Look at this theater. It appears on the screen. You're with me. Part of the tour group, about 30 people, are tracking the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. Made our way, and we're seated at the lower level, base of your screen. This is part of the magnificent Roman ruins that you will find in Ephesus. Ephesus is about three miles from the Aegean Sea. And there, about 25,000 seats were provided for people to be able to take in whatever theater experience was awaiting them. And you're astounded. Because you know that this was dedicated to false spirituality. There was a goddess in the time of the Roman Empire known as, as Artemis or Diana. We're sitting there, and lo and behold, all of a sudden, five people appeared right in front of us, dressed in white robes, get this, and they began to sing a hymn to Zeus. You look at me, I look at you and say, hey, we thought that was, that was of another time period. That's in the literature of Homer, long gone. 
But what we are reminded of at that very moment is that the evil one persists in producing false spirituality moments. And we need an and-it-happened break-in time. Security guard comes, sweeps them away, and we get up and people are looking at one another, and then they begin to carry on in their, in their tracking of the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. Paul had to deal with false spirituality then. We have to deal with false spirituality even in this nation now. And so what the Apostle Paul is going to do at this point, he's going to make his way to the synagogue to begin to teach. But in order to do so, he's going to have to take a road, a marble road to get there. And notice the road that now appears on the screen. Because this is a road that you and I would walk as we travel in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. And we're awed by looking to the left and awed by looking to the right and pondering the ruins that there and the shops that were in present and the opportunities that were available for the Apostle Paul to be able to share true truth, as Francis Schaeffer might put it, in the midst of false spirituality. And here now we find the Apostle Paul who has already posed two critical questions to get people to rethink their assumptions about their relationship to God. He moves us to a second recommendation we've got to embrace in our relationship to God. The second of all, we need to pursue creative options, teaching people about Jesus Christ. Pose critical questions, number one, directing people toward Jesus Christ. Quality questions. Number two, pursue creative options, teaching people about Jesus Christ. What does he do? He starts with his traditional approach, doesn't he? After all, his basic principle to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so he entered the synagogue. And as he entered that synagogue, we've got to bear in mind that because of persecution, the Jews had been scattered, and there were a significant number of people that arrived in the setting known as Ephesus. And so there in the synagogue, for about three months, he speaks, and he speaks boldly. And what our culture needs today are people who can speak with conviction, speak regarding truth, speak with that sense of assurance that after three days, the one who died for our sins was raised, and God is sovereign, and nothing else and no one else is. So he spoke boldly. And when you have that assurance of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you communicate boldly. What does he do? Notice the vehicles. He's reasoning. He's persuading. He's getting people to rethink their assumptions about their relationship to God, about their relationship to what matters most in life. And as he does so, he's beginning to have impact. Likewise, you and I, when the fog has descended upon people mentally or politically or nationally or globally, you take them to the one who reigns. You're talking about the kingdom of God, and he's choosing his words wisely because this is exactly what John the Baptist was all about when, as Matthew would have put it in his opening chapters, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he brings kingdom mentality and kingdom terminology into the conversations of life. In other words, find ways to talk people's language. 
what's being said? How's it being said? Don't get dated. Stay relevant. He knows that they embraced the baptism of John the Baptist. But John the Baptist had proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, kingdom of heaven. And so what he does now is he picks up on what they understand and he takes it a step further. And so he reasons with them. He persuades them about the kingdom of God. But now, here's the deal. Whenever there are opportunities, there will be growing opposition. When God presents an opportunity to expand his kingdom, simultaneously, there will be opposition to the expansion of that kingdom. Verse 9. But. Always seems to be a but in the Bible. But. When some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them, took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Comp on that for a second. Opposition within the synagogue, not out in secular society, but rather among the religious people. There's pushback against the group known as the Way. Long before people who love Jesus as Lord and Savior were referred to as Christians, they were referred to as the Way. In Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah in that great promise delivered speaks of the fact of the one who cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, a prophetic statement with regard to the one we know as John the Baptist, pointing in the direction of the one we know as Jesus Christ. Now, when the apostle Paul was persecuting people in Acts chapter 9, he was persecuting those who were known as the way. So now, pushback time. Everything's flipped. He now is communicating the idea of the one who is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And so, lo and behold, they're in the religious, not in the secular setting. They're speaking evil of the way. What does he do? He withdraws from them and takes disciples with him. Reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And you smile. You smile when you read that and you look at that because look what comes next on the screen. He would have walked what is known as the Arcadian Way, which was nicknamed the Way in that time period. To make his way from a religious setting, the synagogue, to a secular setting, the Tyrannus Hall, in order to be able to communicate truth. In other words, where there is opposition, there is opportunity. Now what I want to say to you is this, that in this culture of flux, where there is opposition, there is opportunity. And that's why your second recommendation is to pursue creative options. He says, okay, it's not working in the synagogue, therefore I'm going to go to the Hall of Tyrannus. I was in email dialogue with certain pastors around the nation of larger churches, and we were talking back and forth where the sizable portion of the people we were communicating with are now doing live stream. And one of them, my buddy Chris Dolson, chimes in and he says, hey, you know what? 
we saw more people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ because of the live stream on Easter Sunday when nobody was present in our physical facility than we had on prior Easter Sundays. And I smiled. Because what God does at this point is he takes what might appear to be an obstacle, what we might assume to be opposition, and then he creates new opportunities in the midst of it all to be able to do what otherwise would not be done. Paul says, I'm not then going to stick to my methods of the synagogue. I'm going to head down the Arcadian way and make my way then into the hall of Tyrannus, a secular setting, so that even though the methods are being varied, the message is not. The message is remaining constant. Changeless truths in changing times. And now you and I are up to verse 10. This continued. He stayed there in that secular hall teaching for two years. And if someone pulled out a calculator, what they would figure is that this is probably about a three-year theological uh, course that was being delivered in the Hall of Tyrannus to students. And he was doing it in the strategic metropolitan area of Ephesus so that now the word of the Lord is being heard. It would not have been heard in the synagogue to that degree, as it is now in the Hall of Tyrannus, so that all the residents of Asia, in verse 10, heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. To what extent did this have impact? Always assume that there's a connecting point between the todays and the tomorrows. And the opposition of today might lead to new opportunities to find new creative ways to communicate changeless truth in changing times so that you take your today and you bring it into your tomorrow. Case in point. Years go by. The Apostle John now writes what is now known as the book of Revelation. And in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, the Apostle John writes to the seven churches of Asia Minor, Ephesus is at the pivotal point of it all. Look at the map that appears on the screen. But because of the fact that the Apostle Paul had ministered faithfully, communicating changeless truths and changing times in Ephesus, look now what appears on that screen. Because what the Apostle Paul now does is that he takes the opportunity that is presented him within that setting and now you find is that he has allowed for the truth to go upward to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Laodicea, Laodice, uh, uh, Laodicea, the seven churches of Asia Minor. And so they're prepped for when the time comes for the Apostle John to write the book of Revelation. They're already ready. And likewise, even in this time period of COVID-19, you find new creative ways, changeless truths in these changing times. You connect the today to the tomorrow, and the result is that what appeared to be opposition is in reality a new opportunity because you're posing the questions that are needed. You're pursuing the creative venues and avenues that are available. And as a result, more and more people still come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and it will be utterly fascinating when they look upon the days of COVID-19 and say, that's where I came to know Jesus. Are you ready? Pose the questions. Pursue the creative options. 
we represent Jesus Christ to a culture whose mind is clouded and needs desperately for the fog to be lifted. Let's stand together. Father, we're thanking you. Thanking you for being our God. Thanking you that you equip people in this congregation, whether it be in this building or via live stream, to be able to ask the critical questions that are necessary to get people to rethink their assumptions about who you are, about what matters, about where all this heads in life. Help them, each of us, Father, to be able to pose worldview-type questions to get people to start thinking seriously about what matters most, Jesus. And help us to pursue creative options, new ways of engaging people in this day and age to be able to introduce them to the one who died for their sins. Now, Father, work powerfully in us. Work powerfully through us. May the result be, Father, that you are honored and we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.